0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network.
1: Thank you. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. It is March 2022, and it is National Athletic Training Month. Last year, we did an episode with three athletic trainers with whom I've crossed paths, and I enjoyed it so much, I wanted to do that again. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by three athletic trainers who have all played a role in my life, in my development as a sports medicine physician. I've learned from them, and I hope you will all learn a little bit about them and from them as well. Time to dive into the world of athletic training. I'm Dr. Mark Halsted, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Today, I'm joined by three athletic trainers who have all had different career paths, Ryan Berry, Dr. Tamara McLeod, and Enrique Perez-Guerra. Ryan Berry joined OSUR Americas in 2008 and has held a variety of roles serving as territory sales manager, senior clinical specialist, and a manager of OSER Academy. He currently is the director of sales effectiveness and medical education for OSER Americas for the Bracing and Supports Division. Ryan completed undergraduate and graduate studies from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Ryan began his career with the UW Sports Medicine Program in Madison, where he served in various outreach and senior clinical roles. After leaving the UW, Ryan founded a safety and medical management company providing contract and consulting medical services to business and industry, as well as CME to medical and safety professionals. Ryan has served the profession of athletic training as past state and district governmental affairs coordinator and past chair of the AT-affiliated credentialing board at the Department of Safety and Professional Services for the state of Wisconsin. Dr. McLeod is the Athletic Training Program's Director, Professor of Athletic Training, Research Professor in the School of Osteopathic Medicine in Arizona, and the John P. Wood Endowed Chair for Sports Medicine at A.T. Still University in Mesa, Arizona. Dr. McLeod completed her Doctor of Philosophy degree in Education with an emphasis in sports medicine from the University of Virginia. She was the founding director of the Athletic Training Practice-Based Research Network, and her research has focused on the pediatric athlete with respect to sports-related concussion. Dr. McLeod has been a contributing author for numerous NATA position statements, serves on multiple editorial boards, and has frequently been published. Enrique, or Henry as we all call him, completed his Bachelor of Science in Physical Education and Athletic Training and a Master's of Education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He served as an athletic trainer in Kansas City and at the University of Missouri-Kansas City, followed by time at the Gunderson Clinic in La Crosse, Wisconsin. He then served as an athletic trainer at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, spending most of his time as the head athletic trainer for men's basketball. He retired after the 2021 season. Well, welcome to the podcast, everyone.
2: Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks for having us, Mark.
0: Thank
3: you.
1: Absolutely. This is fun. I had an episode like this last year. I featured several athletic trainers. It was a really fun time for me reminiscing. I thought it would be something that we can try and do as an annual endeavor. So the agenda tonight is going to be share some stories, background, how each of you got to get to your roles, things that you've served in or have currently serve as. Maybe some of the struggles you've had, some maybe a strangest injury you saw, most memorable moment, maybe some advice for the younger athletic trainers out there. So we'll kind of hit a little bit of everything. Henry, we'll start with you. You retired this past year. Tell us a little bit about your path through athletic training over your career.
2: Well... I never heard about an athletic trainer. Jeez, I hope I'm not showing my age, but uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, there was, I, I don't think there was an athletic trainer around. There might have been one at UWL, but I certainly didn't know about it. When I transferred from UWL to W. Madison, I, two of my high school classmates were also starting in the uh, athletic training education programs. That's how I found out about athletic training. The rest was history from there.
1: Tamara, your role in academics. Talk about how you got into your role.
3: I started out, again, similarly, not knowing what athletic training was. I was an athlete all through high school. I grew up in Southern Ontario, and one of my guidance counselors, when he knew I had an interest in medicine, asked me if I had ever thought about sports medicine. At the time, I had not. I didn't know what it was. He actually had a pennant from Mercyhurst College. It's now Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania, in his office. And he's like, Well, they have a really good program. And so I had looked into it, and that's where I started. I was involved in some research then. And as I went on to pursue my master's and my fellowship in athletic training, I engaged in research several times, and it led me to meet Julie Bernier, who was the program director at. Plymouth State up in New Hampshire, and she said you have to go to the University of Virginia and you have to work with Dave Perrin, which is exactly what I did, which really got me into the academic and research side of the profession.
1: Ryan, you're now in industry after having been on the sidelines in the clinic. Just for our listeners, just some background: Ryan was the very first athletic trainer I was ever exposed to in my sports medicine career. Phrase of you never get a, a, a second chance to make a first impression. Uh, Ryan played a big role into that as far as my comfort level of working with athletic trainers and just feeling safe as a very, very raw second-year pediatric resident who had never been on a sideline for football, being at a school also where – Several of our orthopedic surgeons sent their kids to, one of whom, if I remember correctly, dislocated their shoulder after having multiple surgeries and was a non reducible one on the field. <laughs> it was one of those situations that if there is any place that I could be scared out of my pants doing sports medicine, that was it. But unfortunately, I work with Ryan as my first athletic trainer. So tell us a little bit about your uh, background.
0: Man, just a gift, a gift to work with you. I was one of those kids at the University of Wisconsin who I think was a little bit lost. They talk about this sifting and winnowing that happens there. And I was the chafe. I met just a a beautiful human in Gordy Stoddart, founding father of the profession while I was wandering the natatorium. And he did what all good mentors do. He said, I'm going to give you some keys. You got to open the doors. And those first doors I opened were at the University of Wisconsin, the AT staff. And those were, we talk about good humans, Henry, Andy Winterstein, Chuck Hart, Mike Johnson, Danny Jan uh, and Jan Helwig. But they had to deal with a really ambitious and restless soul in Ryan Berry. And I think what they did is refine me and kept me from breaking too many things. I think Hank knows a little bit of that. You know, and the next path led me over to the UW Hospital and Clinics, the outreach program that was second to none. Brad Sherman, Charlie Crandall, Tim McGuine, Jill Green, to name a few. Long history and community and really a, a connected clinical team. And it gave me the opportunity to lead it gave me regular exposure to the physicians, the fellows, and the residents are really the leadership and future. And that's how I was blessed to come to meet you and really appreciate, I think, the understanding of the true continuum of care. And, and that opened so many other doors. I mean, the path led to leadership opportunities at the state and regional level with the association where Henry and Denny and God bless them, Jeff Oliphant, I got to water the seeds that these influencers planted, and it, it led to state regulation and reimbursement and scope of practice and all those things. And I guess lastly, it, it, it led me to be in contact with national trailblazers like Marge Albaum. I knew her at District 4. She doesn't sit still. She was the NATA president. She found her way to Oster Americas, and I followed down that path, and that's ultimately how I got to where I'm at.
1: Yeah, I tell you, no, it's been 20 plus years since I've been at UW, but boy, that clinic was a great experience. And I think they were well ahead of their time just integrating the physicians, the physical therapists and the athletic trainers, the orthopedic surgeons being side by side for most of those clinics there, and then just really making it a warm experience for the residents. I can't stress enough how much of a great experience that is for pediatric residents going through there and just being at other places and knowing how sometimes those experiences are few and far between and how how really people, the pediatric residents, really want to actually rotate there for a month. Most of them do that. I was just, it was just a fortunate situation. And, and you, as you guys know, Greg Landry and Dave Bernhardt, my two mentors there, just can't say enough good things about them. So let's talk some stories about your careers. We'll be HIPAA mindful here. I'd love to hear from each of you something you found extremely rewarding during your career. And it doesn't have to be a patient experience, but a lot of times that's what this turns out to be. And then we'll follow that after that, something you found to be a significant challenge. So Tamara, why don't you start off with something you found rewarding?
3: Sure. When I was working on my doctoral degree, I had a graduate assistantship, an all-boys boarding school in the mountains just outside of Charlottesville. And obviously, as a female going in there, you kind of become a bit of a mom figure. And I had several cases where, you know, I would just have patients that I kind of got the feeling they just wanted to hang out. They had every chronic injury that you could possibly imagine, and it never really, really got better. Um, And I came to realize probably after about a month there that they were all required to do a sport every season. And so some of them, you know, pick cross country because they didn't want to do football or volleyball. And that was the only other option. But they had never run before. And as a result of a lot of those conversations, we actually started a student aid program and offered that as an opportunity in replacement of one of the sports. And so it was really unique just to be able to mentor some of those students and really build something from scratch that they found meaningful, gave me a little bit of help, but also reduced all of these very vague injuries that would show up regularly and certainly not get better over time. Ryan.
0: When you're in a complicated environment involving injury, you know, parents and loved ones don't want to have to trust you. And in many cases, because it's their most vulnerable time, they kind of have to. But I think it just taught me that when you listen, do what you say you're going to do, you leverage resources and even resources some of those individuals don't know what you have. You communicate. Ultimately, you help them solve problems for those that they care about most in this world. I think that's kind of the place that you solidify trust. And I think that everyone on this call will agree, man, that's the holy grail. That's what, you know, makes us feel good. That's what makes us work in the dark and and do the things that we need to do so that we can replicate that.
2: Henry. Well, first of all, Mark, I got to go back. Uh, Ryan brought up uh, Gordy Stoddard and uh, he was also my mentor when I started a long, long time ago. I can still remember walking into the athletic training room and I'm this fresh little I guess sophomore at that point in time and had no idea what was going on and he looked at me and he looked at my hair and he said go get a haircut. So but Gordy was uh was very influential and and Ryan mentioned Danny and Jan and Jim Basani and a bunch of others who were so instrumental in getting me to where I got to be. And then going back to your point, Mark, UW Sports Medicine is a very unique situation. There's a very close bond between athletic trainers, physicians, residents, fellows. And not only did I learned from them. I hope I, you know, I taught something to them. It's a big community, but it's a little community. And I even remember when you were there. So, <laughs> um, uh, so it's always a pleasure to uh, to work and to learn from others. And that's the way that I kind of looked at things. You asked the question. You know, what was one of the big things in my career? And I, it was a couple of stories of uh, mental health issues, helping some uh, student athletes through that time period. You know, uh, athletic trainers do a lot lot of things. And and I wouldn't say that uh, we're not trained in how to take care of mental health issues, but I sort of had to learn on the fly. And I had David Bernhardt and several of uh, our other allied health professionals, psychologists and psychiatrists. And those were really meaningful times for me because I saw, fortunately, the, the, the good part of it, the, the things turned out well for them. That really out of all that i've been able to do you know final fours all that other kind of stuff there's two particular incidences that i just will never forget and as an athletic trainer uh, so happy to be able to to be able to help these individuals
1: if i remember correctly henry i think i carry through you were the one i think who would always insist that you would not tape an ankle unless they did some ankle proprio is that correct was that your general philosophy
2: That would be correct. There was a lot of people that were mad at me for a long time, and I still think they're mad at me. But uh, we got through it. Everybody has their sort of a little idea on how to uh, try to prevent injuries, because that's what we do as athletic trainers. We try our best to prevent injuries. And to me, that was one way to do it.
1: Well, I still use that in clinic today when I have athletes that come in who are hurt and all they do is to, for their ankle is insist on getting it taped, but they won't do any rehab. I say, well, you know what? The head athletic trainer for the Wisconsin men's basketball team would always insist <laughs> on doing a rehab first. So so you're used in my clinic on a regular basis, just so you know. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Sure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue our discussion with our athletic trainers. Thought about a career in voiceover?
0: Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business?
1: Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my focused audience of professionals interested in pediatric sports medicine, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. In today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts, <laughs> you know as well as I do, time flies. But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Corps. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Let's talk about a significant challenge that each of you faced over the years and how you responded to it. We'll, we'll start with Ryan.
0: Besides the gauntlet of regulatory and payer and reimbursement issues, Mark, we can save that for another podcast. But I think having the blessings of what we've talked about, about these fellowship-trained individuals, residents, and and some of the community where we all kind of understood this continuum of care, my biggest challenge was always medical workflows and protocols directed by those without musculoskeletal training or experience. And there are mid-level and physician providers who just have not had that exposure. You know, they, they haven't had regular opportunities during their training to hone those skills. And it complicates things at so many levels. I think you have to back back up, right? And if you're ever part of a triage situation, it's certainly playing to the vanity of the professionals that you're interacting with. That's tough. You know, it's, it's a tough process and it, it certainly inhibits progress.
2: Henry? Well, I'm going to have to say COVID. COVID was probably one of the biggest challenges of my career. I say that because this little virus showed up and uh, nobody really quite knew what was going on. I can, I can still remember getting the guys ready for practice and looking up at the TV and seeing the Big Ten commissioner kind of like talking and there wasn't much going on and All of a sudden, I turned the volume up and the Big Ten Tournament's canceled. And it goes from there. It was a difficult time. I I think, as I like to say, I sort of had a, a moral, ethical problem at the beginning of it because we didn't really know what we were dealing with. And at first, you know, I mean the story goes on. Everybody thought it would just go away and things would be fine, but it didn't go away, you know? And then as athletic trainers, we were asked to get involved in testing, COVID testing. Again, you know, we had the proper PPE and everything else, but still in the back of your mind, you were going, hmm, what's going on? Well, what is this all really about? It turned into okay, how's it affecting these student-athletes? And it it really did affect student-athletes. And the toughest guy in the world, I can still remember, he was so mad about the fact that Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament was canceled. He just wanted to play so bad to me telling him, we don't know what's going on and our jobs as medical professionals and big shout out to uh, Michael Mall and David Bernhardt for leading us through this, especially at the university level, University of Wisconsin, they really taught us a lot. And especially David, and we were able to pass this information along to the student athletes, obviously sometimes not accepted very well, other times accepted really well. You know, those, those two years were in those, unfortunately, those were the, my last two years uh, as the uh, men's basketball athletic trainer. It was quite tough, and it was quite interesting to be isolated and still play your sport. And again, quote, not sure exactly what was going on. Tabera.
3: I think coming from a bit of a different perspective, after completing my doctoral degree, I decided to take a position at the only athletic training program in the country that is not associated with an athletic program at A.T. Still University. So being ingrained in that health sciences environment was fantastic, but it was a very big challenge to get a research program up and running because you didn't have easy access to intercollegiate athletes, as most do. And so the bright side of that was those challenges really brought on a lot of community partnerships and community engagements with our local high schools, community colleges, and youth sports groups to really try to engage clinicians in research to build partnerships and really try to establish a research line of practice-based research that we were studying things that were important to the clinicians and they were important to the patients. But it was certainly a challenge my first couple of years out in Arizona, really trying to establish that. So let's
1: talk about an interesting case or diagnosis, challenging one, perhaps. We'll start with Henry.
2: Well, I probably have two. One I like to call the perfect lateral compartment fasciotomy that uh, took place on a basketball court. There was a student athlete that uh, tried to dive for a ball, and he went over the back of the standard. And unfortunately, the one bolt that might have been exposed was exposed, and it, it made a perfect incision. I mean, it couldn't have been any any better. Uh, when I got there, I was looking at some pretty good anatomy. Not a lot of blood or anything like that, but I was like, Okay, this is pretty interesting, and I still can remember uh, Dr. Orwin and uh, saying that you know we had a laceration, and he's like, "Well, I'll be there to fix it up, fix it up." Uh, And I said, "No, I think this is a little bit bigger than that." The young man ended up obviously going to the ER and then to surgery later that night. and was very lucky that uh, he just missed his perineal nerve, uh, which probably would have been a disaster at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So you know, and there's no HIPAA involved here um, because the whole world knew about it was uh, my challenge with uh, Brad Davison and his shoulder his freshman year kudos goes out to a, a great young man from a great family I've worked with a a lot of student athletes over the years and I have, I probably have two or three in my top, you know, they are just tougher than nails and he's definitely one of them. You know, we talked about that, that rehab part of it, Mark, part of Brad's drive was to come in every day before practice and go through his therapy so that we could get him out on the floor and we could practice and, you know, and try to keep him as safe as we could throughout the season. And, you know, fortunately it turned out okay.
1: Ryan,
0: I'm going to bundle it just because it kind of brings the full gamut of where I'm at now in terms of industry. But I've been involved at the ground level of some development and implementation of products that really came to be because of physicians and ATCs that ultimately were the key opinion leaders that identified gaps in in protocol support. You know, the research reviewed the gaps. The research backed the biomechanical and physiological basis for really the development of these products. And few such cases that I I guess, you know, I I can talk about is complex knee injuries, healthy leg injuries that, you know, even a decade ago, I I think in many cases, catastrophic career ending. And I've been able to witness early diagnosis by qualified professionals, skilled surgical care, implementation of these, you know, functional healing type products that in the hands of skilled clinicians like we have on today's call – the outcomes are just fascinating. Everything from return to play, you know, preservation of draft status. And in one case, you know, pretty high profile. This individual walked down the aisle with no supported devices. And so these are these are aha moments, these are human moments, and it's just neat to see that process. And, you know, it's a testament to innovation, but it's also the importance of multimodal care and teamwork.
1: Kind of piggybacking on that, just talking about the the multi ligamentous knee, and we've had a couple significant ones in the NFL, right, over the last several years. That probably ten years ago we would have said that's a career ender, right there. You're never coming back. And we saw these athletes come back and come back at a very high level,
0: one hundred percent. And I think to Henry's point early on, it's a testament of the team. You know, and the best surgeon in the world is going to say I can do what I'm supposed to do, but if I hand that off and and we don't have that follow up protocol and the compliance within the protocol and you know things to battle positioning and forces and those types of things. Uh, we're probably not having those outcomes without that teamwork.
1: You're right. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's all factors. It's getting the surgeon to to do it the way that best that they can do it, and then the athlete and the athlete's personality and the athlete's dedication afterwards, as far as the rehab, and then just following the right rehab protocols and having people direct that from you guys as the ATS and, and PTs who are working with them and. Yeah, boy, impressive some of the things that, you know, I think probably early on in all of our careers, we would say, oh, no, there's no way this person's ever going back to play. And, and now we're talking about it like it's, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. If there is something that you could change about the athletic training profession, what would it be? And we'll start with Ryan.
0: Toxic hustle, uh, I, honestly. And, you know, it's tough. I, I, You know, I am all about winning in the dark. And I think people who care do extra. And man, when Henry retired, the just the athletes that what they said about him, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. And those are things we all want in terms of our careers. But I think at some point, caring about what you do means caring for you as well. And I think if we saw athletes never leave a facility or not taking care of themselves or their colleagues, I think we would intervene immediately. And yet oftentimes, ATs delay that for themselves. And so, there has to be a point. And I think we can take care of each other in that process. And I don't know if I shout out out there, just enough of the martyrdom. You know, let's be healthy. Let's get to the end game, right?
1: And it's funny, you know, we can probably all say that at, at, at the points of our careers where we're at now, and especially Henry retiring, you know, looking back, and I had a, actually a talk that I did with some aspiring uh, students in sports medicine, you know, whether they were going to be physicians or what have you. And and one of the things that I stress with them is just, you know, make sure early on in your career, you know how to say no. And there is always someone else who can pick up the slack and and don't just do everything yourself. I mean, there's plenty of regrets that I think we all have where we've missed out on family opportunities and things like that. And, and part of that, obviously, is is what we do. There's a lot of weekend and night obligations and as I tell everybody, always I go, I have the roughest on call ever. I get to go watch sports. So, you know, I don't have anybody crying any tears for me over that. And it's afforded some plenty awesome opportunities for my family of things to experience. But in the big picture of things, you know, we, we just need to have that perspective. So I agree with you as far as the, the martyrdom, we, you know, we, we need to be able to say no for ourselves, too, and realizing that some things can wait till the next day uh, or even longer than that. I agree with you. How about Henry?
2: I I think I'm just going to piggyback on what Ryan said and what you've said. I think we got to have respect for the the profession. And to have respect for the profession, you have to sort of set boundaries. And I'm going to be the first to admit that uh, early on, There were no boundaries, crazy hours, missed family time. You know, fortunately, I've been able to retire and I'm healthy. I'm hoping that uh, I can spend more time with my family. But I did learn that there has to be a work-life balance. And if there's not a work-life balance, you're not going to be a very good athletic trainer. And I think that that's something that uh, Inter-American, you can probably express this better than i can but uh it's something that needs to be taught it, you just can't see it it has to be taught there's no other profession that you have to sort of be good at everything <laughs> you need to have time for yourself not only to get away from it but also to also stay up on things again i think if if i had to change something is i would love to sit in an administrator's office and just say hey this is what we do really understand what we do. I'm not tooting my own horn or not tooting the horn of athletic trainers. I'm just saying, understand what type of responsibilities athletic trainers have. And that's at all levels, at all levels. Tamara.
3: I'm going to have to say, I'd love to see greater access to athletic trainers for secondary school athletes. I think we still have significant issues where ATs are not hired or even accessible at many high schools across the country, and I think when we see many of the cases of sudden death that make the news, a lot of times they can be from preventable causes, and I think having an athletic trainer there is certainly the most prudent course of action to try to prevent those types of bad outcomes and love to be able to see one in every high school, but I think you know we need to perhaps even as a profession be creative. It's <laughs> a little bit and consider telehealth and other opportunities that kind of came to light a little bit more during the pandemic as outreach ways for some of our rural high schools if we're not able to have someone physically present. But I think that that access and that care to a broader extent for our secondary school athletes would be one of my top priorities.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly about the secondary schools. I, you know, Just from an observation as a physician and watching locally here what happens in St. Louis where... Schools are coming up with their contracts for athletic trainers and seeing various groups in town bidding against each other to be the lowest bid so they get the contract for athletic training and you're underselling and undervaluing your role as an athletic trainer. It drives me crazy when I see that. Because I and I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I mean, I understand it from the school's purposes. And obviously, it makes more financial sense for the school. But then I come right back at the secondary schools and like, this is the health of your athletes that you are you're now undervaluing. And how does that look as a public perception? If if we were to call that out, which you know I haven't early on in my career, but as I've gone further along now, next time my local school board is up for bidding for this, I will be a very vocal person there of saying that this is not the way that we need to be doing this. And again, I, I just, I, I think my biggest hope for, for everybody is that you guys aren't selling yourself short as far as your value financially, <laughs> because it's, it's high there. And you guys are, I think, way too underpaid for what you do. I speak about that a lot. I think that the secondary school thing need, needs to be better. I think if a school's got enough money to afford a football team and their big fancy stadium for their football team and their new turf for their football team, they better be able to afford the athletic trainer and pay them well for what they do, especially for the hours that they ask them to do stuff. But that's off. I'll get off my high horse.
2: (laughs) I would like to say that that I have such respect for the secondary high school athletic trainers. I, I was very lucky and very blessed to have fairly quick access to physician's get problems taken care of quickly. Uh, You know, I did work in the high school setting early on in my career, it's tough. And a big shout out to secondary high school athletic trainers, and they have a tough job too. And uh, I go back to the work-life balance thing too. I worry about them because, you know, know, I I was in charge of a couple of sports at at UW, couple three sports at UW. These athletic trainers are in charge of a, a whole athletic department. You're right, Mark. These individuals are underpaid professionals and they are medical professionals. They have quality education and great resources such as you and other physicians across the the country where they can get people in. But um, again, it's it's difficult at the secondary level versus the university level.
1: We'll finish with our feature we call the Pearl the Podcast. I treat it as like a take-home point for people, but for this purpose, I think it's just we can use it as something that each of you for your careers an athletic trainer, what advice would you give to the soon-to-be or starting athletic trainers out there? Some parting words of wisdom, so to speak. Uh, Start with Tamara.
3: Yeah, I think you really need to find your passion. There's so many different avenues within athletic training, from the various settings to education to research. And it's really, I think, finding as Andy Winterstein would say, finding your tribe and really trying to find people who make you better, who you learn from, and who can really support your career. And I think the people and your passion are really what's going to drive you to, to stay in this profession for a long period of time.
1: Ryan?
0: My experience is maybe a little unorthodox in regards to, say, a standard trajectory for the AT. Man, what Whatever option you choose, make sure it gives you more options. That's what I just tell everybody. When you're going to take a leap of faith in a job or industry, let that also be accompanied by added exposure and other skills and experiences. And those will be checks you'll cash later. And I'm just telling you, we talk about that secondary athletic trainer that, you know, Henry's talking about. We all, you know, understand what they go through. I hire those people. Those are the communicators. Those are the individuals that are problem solvers. They understand when to get in the way and when to get out of the way. And at times, man, blaze your own path. Write your own position description. Do those things and and, and just do a little bit more of betting on yourself. That's my takeaway, man. Bet on yourself.
2: Then, Henry, we'll let you finish us up. Well, as Tamara said, uh, I think if I was speaking to a class, I would say understand the profession. It doesn't matter what part or what avenue you want to pursue in athletic training there's going to be injuries, there's going to be mental health issues. So understand profession and understand the diversity of the profession. And then you've got to be ready for change. Sports medicine is an evolving creature that changes every single day. We talked about the multi-ligament thing earlier. It's amazing what's come with that. You have to stay up on literature and uh, and do your best you know carve out time to, to find find out what's going on what new rehab techniques are going on out there you know what's going on with concussions etc not to be afraid to ask colleagues I can't tell you how many times that I talked with my colleagues about particular cases and maybe what they did or what what, what their suggestion was, uh, you know, for the particular situation. Hey, we're all professionals here and we got to rely on each other. And that includes the physicians too. You know, I mean, there are times when you just, you need to ask and, and don't be afraid to ask because that's not weakness that to me, that's strength. So that would be my point to somebody coming into the profession of athletic training.
1: Fantastic. I'd really like to thank Henry and Ryan and Tamara for joining me today. And as Henry said earlier, you know, as far as learning from each other, I certainly can testify to the fact that I I have learned greatly from the athletic trainers I've worked with and have partnered with over the years, including all three of you. And I I thank you very much for that. Three very fantastic athletic trainers here. And just thank you to all of the hardworking athletic trainers out there. Again, a shout out, especially to those secondary school athletic trainers, as Henry was alluding to before. I did make a promise on Twitter. Uh, so that means that it has to I have to follow it, right? So I put it on Twitter and social media that in the new year that any talk I give this year, I'm going to have a slide that if any talk I give to primary care physicians, that's going to have a slide that just talks about the value of athletic trainers as part of the healthcare team. And I uh, have my first talk of that at my conference that I put on in another few weeks. So I have that slide already prepared. Give me two talks. I will give it twice to make sure we drive home the point. So I appreciate all the athletic trainers I've had the great honor to work with in my career, and I will certainly always have your back from my end. And so thanks to taking your time to listen to us today. I truly appreciate your listenership, and we really appreciate your reviews and feedback. So follow us on Twitter at PedsportsPod, and check us out on our entire podcast library at com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this has been another episode of the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halsted, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine
3: Podcast.